Welcome to a new Neon Jazz interview with one of the finest jazz guitarists in Kansas City, Brian Baggett. During our candid interview, he talked about his roots in Kansas, his essence for playing music, his new book he just published, live gigs, teaching, and much more. Dig it. So the first thing, I'm just going to dive right in. Um, I read your bio, and there, there's a lot going on, but I did not get where you were born and raised. Okay, uh, yeah, I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, moved to Kansas when I was about four years old. So I spent, spent the majority of my lifetime in Kansas. So what was it about Kansas that led you to kind of have a jazz backbone and to get interested in the jazz craft? Uh, when I was in high school, I went to Washburn Rural High School in Topeka, and uh, my music teacher there was uh, Cliff Manning, and he also mentored uh, a bunch of other good musicians. Andy McKee's one of them, who's kind of a finger-style guitar player. But he uh, he was a big influence on me and a lot of other uh, students there. And then I eventually went from Washburn Rural to Washburn University, where I studied with Chuck Tomlinson. Uh, for a few years, and that's what really got me started in, in jazz. He uh, hipped me to Jim Hall real early, which was a, a really, really great influence on my playing. Well, it looks like you've had a lot of good teachers over the years. You had uh, Danny Embry and a, and a host of others that really kind of probably lent to your playing style. Absolutely, yeah, and Danny Embry's still a, a big influence on me. Just, you know, not only the lessons that I took with him, but just his playing in general has been a huge influence on me. Now, you, you began your study of guitar at the age of 12, and you were playing gigs at 14. What was your family uh, background like to lead you to have kind of music in your genes? Sure, my mom was a piano teacher, and my dad played some guitar, and uh, they were both real supportive uh, of me playing music. You know, I was playing piano when I was younger than that, and I was actually even playing guitar before I was 12. I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so at 12 is when I started to, you know, take guitar lessons and understand how the guitar worked. But I'd, I'd been holding it for several years, and I think that that kind of made a difference because I, when I got uh, some guitar lessons, I took off real, real quickly, you know. Uh, it just happened real fast. Absolutely. So over the years, I noticed you got a picture with Steve Vai on your website, the Jerry Garcia Band. You've kind of gone from jazz to a host of other genres. Pat Metheny's name has been mentioned. What kind of projects and bands have you been involved with over the years? Well, I started off, um, I started playing guitar because of Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, with that came Steve Vai because they were in the same sort of genre. And, you know, we're talking about you know, the late 80s here, and so that was just the thing for guitar. Um, but that's where I started, and then I moved from that into more of the blues players, and then um, into into jazz from there. So I really approached jazz, you know, like a lot of guitar players do from kind of a rock and blues background. But the one common thread uh, through all of the guitarists that I've been influenced by is uh, that they could all really play well. And uh, that's been kind of uh, something that I've liked in music for a long time. And, and I think that's what led me to jazz was that when you get into jazz music, you know, everybody pretty much plays really well. Right on. So it's sophisticated music, you know, and sophisticated improvisation, I guess. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, and a lot of these guys that are playing the guitar, technically, there's so many aspects of it that are jazz and crossover, so it's not fit into one little box, you know? 
Right, and that's what was really important to me when I was studying with Chuck Tomlinson was that, you know, I knew Aldi Miola and John McLaughlin, and he was like, well, those guys are great, but, you know, check out Jim Hall, you know, and uh, and like I said, that opened a lot of new doors for me. But, you know, and and another thing that's interesting about, you know, I talk about how I've always been into guys that can play really well. Now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize that, you know, there's always going to be someone faster. There's always going to be someone better uh, technically. And so now I'm starting to, to go back and go, okay, now what, what kind of story do I have to tell? Because that's, in the end, what's going to set me apart um, from, from other guitar players. Absolutely. Is what I, what I say. Um, sort of with the knowledge that we all have access to. Sure. So before I get to your latest 2012 release and talk about that a little bit, your inspirations and how's it, how it's doing, talk to me about the albums leading up to this latest album that you've been involved with. Okay. Yeah, um, I started uh, working with Bill McCamey in Kansas City probably around 2000 and uh, made a couple records with him. The second record um, was my favorite, and that was uh, myself, Bill McCamey, Jake Blanton on guitar, and Tom Morgan, who's a percussion uh, instructor at Washburn University. Um, and that was a really cool band, because there's two guitars, bass, and drums, kind of like inner string in a way, but it was all Bill's uh, compositions. So it was, uh, Bill's a very unique composer, uh, and band leader, but uh, so I made those two records, and then I made a record uh, with Ken Lover and the B3 player, and I'm still working with Ken in OJT. Uh, he made a record, and then we made a second record with a singer, uh, Bukeka Scholes, who's who's a, just a great R&B and jazz singer. Um, and then I've also, for many years, had a fusion trio called Dojo, and uh, that band has made a few records over the years as well. And the last record that we made came out in 2008. And that's kind of how I got connected with Steve Vai, is through that band. Very cool. So your latest release, how is it, stu- how is it doing, touring? What were some inspirations behind this album? Well, I had decided, you know, like I said, I've worked with, with the organ trio a lot. And uh, that doesn't always lend itself to kind of an introspective sort of thoughtful guitar sound and like what i was saying is that i'm trying to trying to to tell a story with the guitar and it's not that i can't do that with the organ but the organ is it's just a different kind of jazz it's an edgier bluesier funky kind of feeling and so i have to play with a little more intensity in that band and then obviously in the in the dojo band it's that band is uh is very loud and intense and so i wanted to make i wanted to make a straight ahead jazz record with a bass player instead of organ player um where it just played standards um and and really kind of fed off of the the other two musicians and and you know and people told me you know well what the record's really subtle you know and 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 one of my friends said you know i felt like you could have taken more chances but it wasn't necessarily about trying to trying to prove anything it was about trying to trying to say something musically you know and uh that doesn't always mean taking it to the extreme but maybe i took it to the extreme and on the other side of being too subtle because i was ready to sort of get into an introspective sound and uh that was the idea with the record also just to uh i was kind of 
into trying to come up with a different sort of guitar sound that had a little bit more uh, uh, ambience to it than the regular jazz guitar sound. So I would say that that's, you know, that's kind of the what made me want to go in that direction. It's kind of just uh, make a quieter record, I guess. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about from the studio to on the road. Where have you performed over the years, like internationally, around the country? Just kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I've come up with as a musician here is that um, I've decided to be as diverse as possible with my music career. And because, and the reason why I say that is because um, certain things have grounded me to this area. Um, I have a family, um, and I'm a very family-oriented person. I'm also, um, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a fairly private person, and I, I enjoy, you know, um, family life and having a home, having a backyard, you know, uh, rolling around in the grass with my daughter, you know. And so what I figured out as a way to make a living is to just do a whole bunch of things um, within driving distance of where I'm at. You see, if I was just a jazz guitar player, I would have to be on the road in order to make uh, uh, enough money to, to live the way I want to live. But what I do um, is, you know, I've figured out all kinds of ways to make money with the guitar. I, I can fix a guitar, I can teach guitar, I can sell guitars, I can play guitars. So I do all those different things. And so um that's and and also i've found that uh teaching has become a a, a sort of a, a main part of uh of my career as a musician and that, that was that wasn't a conscious decision that was um stuff that's just kind of fallen into my lap um but i i really enjoy teaching jazz guitar I, and i do some preschool music teaching as well um which is a little outside the box for me but uh uh, that's that. I'm I'm based mostly in Kansas here in Missouri, obviously. But yeah, it seems to me that a lot of musicians in jazz, especially, turn to teaching, which I find totally hopeful and great because it leads to you know a greater successive generation of musicians. Do you think that's kind of a mentality too of slipping into teaching? Well, without to get uh, preachy or anything, I kind of, I kind of feel called to do it, you know, um, and and that's why I say it, it wasn't a conscious decision. It's just these things got set down in front of me. Like uh, uh, Todd Wilkinson started a jazz program down at Ottawa University and asked me to come down there and teach guitar, and uh, I didn't even, you know, apply for that job. It literally fell in my lap. And um, same thing with people that just find me and want to take guitar lessons you know i'm not i'm not advertising or anything like that um it just sorts it just sort of happens um but on top of that i've also uh written a guitar method book that's called uh the keys to unlocking the fretboard and uh and that i'm just publishing that myself and and i've i've done very well with that book and uh and plan to do more with it in the fall um, I'm looking to maybe do some traveling on that book, doing some master classes based on the book. Um, and that would probably be affiliated with Ottawa University and maybe also uh, Supersonic Music, uh, which is where I work during the day. Wonderful. So when you get a phone call from a venue in Kansas City, what venue do you look forward to getting a phone call from to play at? 
Well, that's another side <laughs> of of my career. I, you know, for the most part, I'm a side man. You know, the calls that I get are from are from the leaders of the band. You know, and uh, and I've tried. You know, and especially with this last trio record, I gave it a shot to try to book some gigs and play with the trio because I really wanted to and I really liked the music. But in the end, you know, it's 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 just too much trouble to try to do it and I'm not good at it either I'm good at making music you know I'm not good at selling it and and I feel like if there's something missing in the industry it's it's that person that sells it well because I've actually run off three or four people just trying to do the PR side of, of, of music uh, and so I, for me it's easier and uh, I just a better fit for me I think at this point to, to kind of be a sideman um and and also, you know, I I kind of have this theory of play, practice, get better, let your playing speak for itself. You know, sure. so instead of uh, calling the clubs, you know, or sending them press kits, I'd rather them call me, and uh, you know, based on my playing. And, uh, you know, that happens with musicians more than it happens with club owners. But I think for me as a musician, what's going to happen, I'm not interested in trying to force anything. Uh, I let things unfold as they as they happen. And I believe that um, eventually my playing will be at a point where um, the club will call me based on the playing. And then also that the club would fill up based on my playing. Um the the other side of that coin is the person that knows everybody in town and has all these friends that will come out to see him play. I'm not that guy. I mean, I have friends, but I'm not. I'm, you know, I I I'm just too busy to spend a whole lot of time socializing. And I and so what's going to have to fill that club is my playing. And uh, and at that point, I'm. I, I would be very, very satisfied with a result like that, you know, because it's very real and it's based on the music. And I always tell my students and I tell myself, it always comes back to music. That's 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 the main spot, you know. And if the music isn't happening, then even if in the short term other things are happening, in the long term it's not going to work. So everything has to stand on the shoulders of music. Sure. So tell me, what, what's one of your uh, favorite memories from playing live? Oh, man. Um, I would say, um, well, obviously, playing with Steve Vai was just absolutely incredible. Um, because I had, you know, Steve Vai posters on the wall when I was a kid, and he didn't know that. Um, the The... The, just the generosity of those guys. Um, but I'm uh, friends with the, what I guess you'd call him the rhythm guitar player, the second guitar player in Steve Vai's band. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy that set that whole thing up. But he, you know, I, I had just gone to the concert to go to the concert, and uh, it, it ended up that this guy let me play, you know, his guitar through his amp. I didn't have any equipment, anything. And uh, those guys were just so so generous and uh uh it was just an amazing experience plus the way it sounded on stage was just unbelievable right sounded like a, a cd you know <laughs> i mean the monitor mix was just unbelievable up there but uh the thing that knocked me out the most about that you know was just 
And the biggest lesson that I learned from that was that, you know, you can do something small um, that seems, you know, like just telling somebody they look nice. That that was easy to do. But the effect that that might have on that person um, could be huge. Yeah. You know, so like in this situation, I mean, it was in Salina, Kansas. So Steve Vai may have been like, well, you know, I'm in Salina, Kansas. What's the what's the harm in letting letting this guy come up and play um so it wasn't a big deal to him but what it meant to me was was huge and so that that was one of the biggest lessons i learned from that experience and uh it was it was awesome it was really awesome but i've had a, a lot of other really great experiences on stage some of them have been you know like one experience that i remember i believe i was at the bottleneck in lawrence um, with kind of a, a rock band or a jam band, I guess this was many years ago, and it was sort of the first time that I realized um, that there's a place that you can get to an improvisation where you're not thinking anymore, um, and that was a huge moment for me as a musician, and uh, and I try to try to get to that spot every time now on stage, and so that's an interesting place because that's not you know that's not a venue that's a, a, a space you know that maybe we can get to in improvisation um, absolutely so very cool so the jazz scene in kansas city is just as far as i'm concerned is thriving what uh what do you think about the jazz scene the musicians what's going on just kind of give me your thoughts well, like uh, OJT, I mentioned Ken Laverne and the OJT, the Oregon Jazz Trio. We just uh, have been, uh, we've been working at the Green Lady Lounge every Wednesday night, and that's kind of become Oregon Night there at the Green Lady. And uh, so that's been great for the Oregon Trio because, you know, we many years ago had a steady Wednesday at Tom Foolery's on the plaza, and the group just got super, super tight playing, you know, once a week, and we expanded our repertoire and had a had a, a big song list that we were playing so that's happening again um down there and i think that's a great club and uh uh i i think the scene is coming back for sure you know i think jardine's closing you know kind of dealt a blow to the scene but uh i, I agree with you i think it's thriving it's coming back um if anything i think that uh we need to, as musicians and and just people in the in the music industry, I think that maybe we need to be a little more open minded to uh, trying to push the the art forward in a way. Um, that, that that would be the only concern that I have with Kansas City, you know. But it, 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 music is a business, you know, and and so the club owners they've got to book the acts that bring in the people. Not just the acts that are that are you know pushing pushing the art forward you know or expanding expanding the directions in jazz. Absolutely, it's funny you know it's just like pop music you know it's not you know quality that makes popularity you know. Absolutely, and that's kind of goes back to what I was saying about music earlier, where you know I want to fill that club based on the playing, and uh, unfortunately that's really hard to do. Yeah, but it's a lot easier to fill it with friends. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, Tell me what you're most uh, proud of in your life, as far as personally and musically. Well, um, I think that that's a, that, uh, honestly, probably it's it's watching watching students of mine have success 
and uh and and seeing seeing them get it you know um i have a i'm I'm really into that and i'm i'm into the idea of like you know maybe it's not my student but maybe it's it's someone that my student teaches that you know really gets it you know i feel like down the road that's going to be what lasts you know or people and it reminds me of john elliott you know piano teacher and uh overall jazz teacher in kansas city his his teaching um in the end went further than his playing did um and i didn't know him you know he was a little bit before my time i guess but that's the impression that i get because i've seen all the great players that he taught and i've heard them and uh so there's a little bit of him in in all those people and so i kind of want to be like that you know uh sort of just just help help others you know figure out jazz improvisation and and uh other than that i would say uh uh, the thing that I'm most proud of is probably uh, staying true to to my belief of you know just playing from the heart and uh, and working on my craft you know and letting my craft speak for itself and uh, that's I'm I'm going to go that that route I think until the end so that's that's my I'm just going to hold steady to that that you know it's the music it's the music absolutely so speaking of the end and right now. What are some of your long and short-term plans? Well, um, I just uh, finished a little bit of a... Uh, uh, I, well, basically, I made a donation to the Kansas Historical Society of some old uh, music that was written by a guitarist and composer named Henry Worrell. And uh, he he died around 1900. Um, and the music is its definitely outside of my style. It's a, a kind of a finger-picking ragtime parlor style early blues style guitar but i submitted uh recordings of these they have these original manuscripts um at the kansas historical society that henry had written out and uh and i learned them and recorded them and gave them to the kansas historical society and we're looking to maybe do some more stuff with that maybe through a through a grant um where we could do more recording and uh, maybe more video recording of this stuff, and maybe even do some some presentations. But uh, man, that was that was such an interesting experience for me because I, there was a lot of detective work in reading those manuscripts. Because he would like on one on one piece, he would write it out like it was in an open tuning on the guitar, mm-hmm. but then on the next one, he'd write it like it was in standard tuning but not tell you that it wasn't. It was in the open tuning again. So I would have to figure out like how the guitar was tuned before I could even read these pieces of music. Uh, so it was, that was a really neat experience. And so I'm, I'm, I plan on uh, expanding some of that. I'd like to do some more of that. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm gonna do some master classes based on my book. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that um, to try to not only help other guitar players but just get the book out there some more um in addition to that still teaching down in ottawa i'm getting ready to do the ku jazz workshop next week that's a week-long camp uh for high school kids i've been there for gosh eight years now i guess Mm -hmm. and so i get to get to teach a lot of kids there as well and then uh we just finished a new dojo record uh that I'm not sure when that's going to come out. That'll probably be in the fall, I'm guessing. 
uh, and it's hard to say what will happen with that band because um, uh, yeah, I'm just not sure, not even sure how that record's going to be released. But uh, it's a it's quite a quite a cool piece of music, I think. Right on. So at this point in your life, would you do anything different? Would I do anything, or could I? Well, if if there's anything up to this point that you could have done differently, would you? Whether it's a moment um, or a decision or anything along those lines. Of course, you know, we all make mistakes. Uh, nobody's perfect, but I, more often than not, I, I look around and uh, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. And, uh, and, and you know, I also have this feeling of, of being surprised that I'm where, where I'm at. You know, whenever I get an opportunity, I'm surprised about it, you know. Um, but uh, I, I, I like where I'm at, yeah. And I, I like, I, I like that it's built on a strong foundation as well, you know. Cool. So if you could jump into a jazz spaceship or a music spaceship, go back in time and meet one musician, who would it be, and what would you ask him? Oh man, that's a tough question. Um, You know, I think I would. I think I would probably want to meet John Coltrane, um, and I don't know if I'd want to do anything more than just uh, listen to him play in a room and really hear what his horn sounded like. You know, yeah, right there next to me because that's, you know, I don't know that I want to ask him any questions. I just want to listen to him, and I feel that way about a lot of musicians. You know, and and see that go, takes us right back to what I was saying about the story to tell you know my favorite musicians they tell me a story you know through the music where i almost don't need to sit down and talk with them yeah um it's their music that, that means more than anything else absolutely so the first time you ever gave out your autograph what was that like <laughs> uh weird and it's still weird and uh when uh, i Somebody came in and bought my book from Supersonic and wanted me to sign it, and I actually refused to sign it because I said, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a music store guy, you know. And then as other people came in and wanted me to sign it, I started signing the book, so I still feel bad about the first one that I didn't sign. And it, <laughs> it wasn't like I was being snobby as much as I felt like I wasn't worthy to give an autograph. So right. it's, it's the same thing. You know, I'm always surprised at that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. So what was the last song or album you listened to before our interview today? I just listened to Sam Yahel, who's an organ player, and uh, Peter Bernstein and Bill Stewart playing like someone in love in uh five four and that's a tune we're going to play tonight at the green lady cool and uh i felt like emailing ken because he had written a chart on it and telling him that it was all okay but it was in the wrong key and it was in the wrong meter <laughs> that tune's generally in four and it's generally an e-flat major not a flat but. very cool so in the length of one tweet tell me who brian is uh, musician, guitarist, teacher, father, husband. Very cool. 
That's all I have, Brian. I really appreciate it. Great. Sounds cool. Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it, man. You bet. Take it easy. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players doing that jazz these days around Kansas City and the world. And thanks to Brian for his time and insight into his craft. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.